Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And if you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 1029. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let me encourage you to go to that text that was just read in Revelation chapter 2. We're continuing our series in Revelation on the seven churches, the letters from Jesus to the seven churches. Last week, uh, we began by looking at the church at Ephesus, and this week, the church at Smyrna. As you can see from the reading that was just done by Stephanie for us, this text, you know, one of the things that Jesus talked about there was uh, that there was going to be tribulations, that there was going to be uh, persecutions uh, that this church was going to experience. And uh, if we were to look at the church today, we would see that that is uh, happening. Uh, real quickly, I'll tell you this really fast story. A friend of mine is a missionary, uh, goes and provides a, a service uh, to different countries, closed countries, and he was there. He was trying to uh, find ways to uh, share the gospel while he was there doing uh, what he does. And um, a government official was posted with him the entire time he was there. He wasn't able to, uh, to really do much, and he was getting discouraged by the time the week or so was being done. He, he really hadn't had many conversations uh, because he knew that the church was under intense persecution there. Um, but then there was a, there was a guy there that was helping him out there, a national, and for about a period of 30 seconds or so, the guard left him, and the, this, this national helper turned to my friend and said, hey, just so you know, uh, we are persecuted, but the church is alive here. And then he went back to his work, and the government official came back in, and that was the only conversation he had. Uh, can you imagine living in an environment where there was that persecution where you couldn't talk about Christ, you couldn't talk about God, you, you couldn't meet like this. Like we, we, we gathered here today and uh, no one here thought about whether or not your personal safety was compromised because uh, you were gathering with other Christians, right? That, wasn't, that, that didn't enter our minds. Yeah, what did persecution look like for this church here? Well, uh, just to give you a little bit of idea of, because when, when John was writing this, this vision that was given to him, this was around 90 AD, and so there was uh, quite a bit of uh, Roman opposition and persecution that was happening, and it was ramping up, uh, particularly under the emperor of the day. Uh, there was forced idol worship in the sense that they had to claim, people had, anyone who lived in a Roman Empire had to claim that Caesar was Lord. And so this would be that once a year or so that there would be uh, festivals and things like that. But then they would, they would offer incense and they would have to say Caesar is Lord. 
And then you'd have to get a, cert, a certificate uh, that would prove that you made this offering and declaration of homage that you had done. And uh, you had to have that, right? Okay. And so this became an issue for Christians. Now, the, it really wasn't so much about a religious declaration that the Romans were after. They didn't really care about that. They didn't view that in terms of religion. They, 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 they viewed it in terms of allegiance. And so when they were saying that you have to say Caesar is Lord, it was more of a political affiliation. But even so much, though this was too much for the Christians of the day to handle because only Jesus is Lord, right? Okay, and our, our ultimate allegiance is to him, not to any human. And so there was this forced idol worship that they were dealing with at this time here. But also, and you noticed in the text that was read, it says that, that there was slander in verse 9 of those who say that they're Jews and are not. I, I may talk a little bit about that later on depending on how the, the flow of the, the message is going. To, um, but if you wanted me to talk more about that, I can talk to you afterwards if I don't get to it. But I'll say this, though, is that there was intense opposition from the Jewish community uh, by, that Christians were experiencing at this time. Um, they, they, simply, they simply hated Christians. And, and we see themes of this. Of, of Luke records that in Acts for us, okay? And we went through a study of Acts, and maybe you remember some of that. But if you want to see that play out, go in the, in the book of Acts, and you can kind of see where everywhere Paul went, particularly, that there was this opposition that was being stirred up, and, and there was a lot of jealousy that was talked about there. There was uh, instigation. There was even the point of in Thessalonica that we read about in Acts chapter 17 that there was a, a mob that was hired to go after the Christians, right? Okay, and so there was this intense hatred there. Um, and uh, by the Jewish population, Jewish leaders. And so this is what the church of Smyrna was going through. But then there was also economic hardship there. It says, in, you know, I know your tribulation and your poverty there, it says there. And, and really what that's most likely referring to is that because of the stand they were taking uh, uh, following Christ, uh, work opportunities uh, were, were drying up. It was, it was, there was a oppression economically that they were feeling because of their stand for Christ, that they were losing jobs, they were losing opportunities to work. And, and so what Jesus here is saying is, I know your poverty. Even though you're rich, you're rich in me, he's saying. But he says, I know your economic hardship here. And so this is what's going on. And, and, and incidentally, this is something that other parts of the world are feeling right now. Um, our brothers and sisters in India, when, when we go there, one of the things that I, I learned that they have to do is if, when they're looking for work and, and, and finding a job in India is difficult, you essentially have to hire somebody to find you a job because there are so many people living in the country and so few jobs. And so you have to put as much information on there, as many certifications and things like that you have. And this is why you'll talk to someone and they'll have a, a, a certificate in engineering and in, in, in you know, uh, journalism and all these different things that seem like they don't even relate to each other. And it's because they're trying to cast as wide of a net as possible. But one of the things they have to put on their application, on the resume, if you will, is they have to put their religious affiliation on there. Can you imagine that? I mean, here is like, you know, that's like, there's, that's a big no-no, right? If you're, if you're in charge of hiring people, you know, think for those of you who are in charge of hiring people, think about what type of trouble you would get in if you're like, okay, and by the way, one last question, you know, what religion are you? Because that may have a factor here, right? Um, we just cannot do that here, but our brothers and sisters in India do. And this is a major hurdle for them, particularly for new believers. Do they check the box of Christian or not? Because they know. They know that most likely if they check the box of Christ's follower, application goes to the bottom of the, the, the stack. 
And so while you and I have a hard time maybe understanding this, this is exactly what the church of Smyrna was going through. They were going through these different types of persecutions, and, 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 and we can uh, list more of it, but that gives you a good idea of maybe what the church was going through. So that raises the question here is, how do, should we deal with and respond to persecution, Okay. Now, it's hard for us because we got to put ourselves in this situation because we really haven't experienced it to nearly the degree that this church has, but one day we may, right? One day we may. And we need to, this is a very important question for us to wrestle with today. So how should we deal with and respond to persecution? Uh, this, is, this is the answer that I hope to unpack in the next few minutes. To endure persecution well. We must listen to Jesus' words of comfort, follow his clear instructions, and rest in his promises. I believe we get each of those from this text of Scripture here. So to endure persecution well, we must listen to Jesus' words of comfort, follow his clear instructions, and rest in his promises. Let me pray and ask God's blessing as I begin to teach here, and uh, then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, I ask that I would communicate in a way that is accurate to the text, that is helpful most importantly, that's led by your spirit. God, I, I pray that I, would, uh, be, that I would know how best to communicate uh, this text of Scripture, and I pray that your spirit would use it to uh, cause us to uh, be more ready for persecution, to sympathize with our brothers and sisters who are currently going through it, and I pray that we would... Um, that we would be very sensitive to your spirits leading during these next few minutes. So thank you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to open the, the scriptures and when we can look at this text, and I pray that it's, well, everything is done for your glory and for your honor. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So first of all, if we're going to endure persecution well, we need to listen to Jesus' comfort and his words of comfort here. You see this? He says in, in the first two words of our text, or, or the, uh, verse 9, he says, I know um, and, 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 and he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. Now, I, I think it's really important because uh, for Jesus to say this is because trials feel incredibly lonely. They just feel intensely, incredibly lonely. And so that's why when someone says, I know, and you know that they're telling the truth, it's indescribably comforting, Right? And, and, and people, uh, you know, as much as even if you go through a similar situation, every trial is unique in some way because all of our lives have unique characteristics and, and things that are going on in our lives, right? And so everything that happens to us, it, it, it's very unique in, in, in many ways. And when we're going through a difficult time, as much as people try to help us, it still always feels lonely, Right? And so when we look at Jesus here and he's saying this, he says, okay, this is what I have for the church of Smyrna. He says, these are the words of the first and the last, the one who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. I know. And this really helps with the loneliness here. And so when we, there's, there's a couple ways to look at this word I, or this, this, this concept of Jesus knowing. Now I just want to share these two or two of the concepts here, if I could, in the next couple of minutes here. And first of all, is that when Jesus says, I know, he, he's talking about awareness, first of all, on a base level, right? He says, okay, I'm aware of what you're going through here. Now, why that's encouraging is because many times people are just simply oblivious to the suffering that we're going through. 
Now, that may not be any fault of their own. I'm not saying that as a condemnation towards those people, but what I'm saying is that sometimes most people just don't even know what is going on in people's lives. Now, as a pastor, I, I have the opportunity to kind of get involved in people's lives much more than many other people. But even for me, who, who I know a lot about a lot of people because I spend lots of time talking with people, the more I talk with people, the more I realize how little I actually know about them. We tend to be private people, and, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying that the difficulties that you're going through, and you know, none, of, none of us wants to be known as, as, a, as a whiner or a complainer, and so, so we, we don't really talk about our problems a lot of times, and you see this all the time, right? You, know, you come into church, and you say, how you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Formality's over. Moving on, right? <laughs> okay? If someone says, you know, hey, how you doing? And you're like, man, this is a terrible week. Uh-oh. How do I get out of this conversation now? <laughs> Uh-oh, they were, they were honest. Uh, I'm not used to this. Uh, now, maybe you don't think that, but the reality is, is that we're not used to people always being, you know, sharing everything with us. But when someone says, I, I know I'm aware of your circumstances, that is comforting. I, I've mentioned that there's persecution happening to Christians in the world today. According to one study, every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. And every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned because of their faith. And at the same time, every day, another five are abducted. And this is according to the 2021 World Watch list. According to that list, there's 309 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution. That's up from 260 million last year. So 309 million brothers and sisters in Christ that we have estimated, they're living in extremely high or very high or extreme levels of persecution right now. Some of the countries that top the list, you would understand, we would have North Africa, you would have Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, and the list goes on and on. India is also in the top 10 countries. And so we have brothers and sisters that are going through this right now. You know what's going on in Afghanistan right now and, and how that, that exit has really caused some difficulty and we know that what's caught up in that are Christians right now. Jonathan Lehman is an author who I respect and I've, I've read a few of his books and things like this and uh, uh, he tweeted this out this week here. He said this. This was an email that he received from a friend in the Middle East regarding pastors and Christians in Afghanistan. This is this past week, just a couple days ago. Here's what he got sent to him. I just want to update you. Our guys did not get out. He's talking about pastors and Christians in Afghanistan. They are in real danger. I am devastated. They are in a hellish nightmare right now. Prayed with them last night. Wept as I thanked them for their lives and faith working on options to get them out now. But ultimately, my hope, their hope is in the Lord. They are desperate right now and have communicated directly with me that the Taliban are looking for them. I can't believe any of this is real. Lord, have mercy. Pray for them in the days ahead. They are in hiding. Pray for that and that the Lord to make a way. That was just a few days ago. And Jesus says, I know. I know. Jesus says to these pastors that are hiding this very moment, he says, I know, 
I'm aware. And that has to have some level of comfort that the God who they serve is not abandoning them. And the God who they serve, while we may not understand all the details, the God who they serve is, is not saying, whoa, 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 wait, that happened? I, oh, man, how did this happen? He says, I know. That has to be incredible, incredibly comforting to him. But not just in terms of awareness, but when we look at the idea of Jesus saying, I know, it also, in Jesus' case, He's also speaking from experience here. It's not just that he says, okay, I know what's happening to you. He says, and this is what would be comforting to those pastors in Afghanistan hiding right now, is that he says, I've experienced what you're experiencing. I I know, I know. I'm not just aware of it, but I've also experienced it. So when someone has gone through a situation ahead of you, it is incredibly comforting. And, and I think of times in my life when uh, I was going through things that were difficult or, or a chapter that might have been difficult. And if I had someone that walked a path ahead of me or experienced it ahead of me, it was incredibly helpful. I, I think of maybe notoriously difficult classes in seminary or college that, you know, I have a, a professor that was notoriously difficult. And so I've talked to a student that was bef- one of uh, theirs beforehand and say, hey, how did you get through this class? And they would say, okay, here's the deal. This is what they're really after and everything. Hey, they, they walked a path ahead of me. It was very, very helpful in our, in our adoption journey, even maybe the first day on a new job when you're just trying to, you feel like you're, you're drinking water from a fire hose, right? And, you, and you're, you're trying to get everything in and you have someone come alongside and you say, okay, I know, here's my experience. I remember what it was like on my first day. It's okay. You don't need to worry about this right now. Just focus on this. It's incredibly comforting to you. Uh, this is why support groups are a huge help. And so when people are going through a difficult situation in life, if you can get with other people that have walked that path, that's extraordinarily helpful. And you see, Jesus experienced what was in the future for the church of Smyrna here. He, he had experienced everything that he talked about. Jesus experienced the economic hardship that he talks about here. Jesus says he didn't have a place to, to call his own when he walked on this earth. And, and we know there's some anecdotal evidence that Mary and Joseph were, were not wealthy at all. In fact, we just look at the type of offering that they offered when Jesus was first born there. It was, it was for the, the poorest of the poor that they offered. And so that there's good indication there then that they had no money. So Jesus uh, uh, had very little growing up. And then there's good indication that at some point along the line, after Jesus turned 12, but before he began his earthly ministry, Joseph dies. And so he's, he's essentially growing up in maybe his teen years without a father. And so he was taking on family business most likely. And, and it would have been an intense economic struggle for him in his life. So Jesus, he looks at them and he sees their economic hardship and he says, I know, I've been there. And so if you're walking this path right now where you have economic hardship or something, now this is particularly tied to persecution. Most of us aren't in that situation, but still the principle is there that Jesus looks at you and says, I know, I've experienced. And not just that, Jesus experienced slander from those who should have supported them. When he says that these aren't really Jews, these are people that in Romans chapter 2, I won't take time to turn there, but if you're taking notes, just write down Romans 2, 28 and 29. Romans 2, 28 and 29. That might help you understand what he means by when he says, those who say they're Jews, but they're not. Basically what they're saying is, that, okay, in name only they are, but what Jews were supposed to be standing for and, and uh, what they were supposed to be doing, they are not Jews at all because they're not following Yahweh. They're not following the true God here. And so 
this is what he's saying here. Jesus experienced this, right? Jesus experienced this in his earthly ministry. The very people, the people who should have welcomed him coming, recognized his messiahship, led the charge in following after him, were the ones that were most aggressively against him. Jesus looks at us. He says, I know. So whatever circumstance you're going through, Jesus can say, I know. And so when I look at this circumstance in Smyrna and all these churches that he's writing to, and when Jesus says those two words, I know, when you read through Romans, or excuse me, Revelation 2 and 3 from this point hereafter, I hope that you always just pause for a quick second after you read, I know. And I hope it's an intense amount of comfort to you for whatever you're going through. So if we're going to endure persecution well, the first thing we need to do is we must follow or must be comforted by Jesus' words. The second thing is, I believe from this text, is we follow Jesus' instruction. We should follow Jesus' instruction here. There's two commands that he gives, one in verse 10, or actually, excuse me, both are in verse 10, and he starts out by saying, do not fear or fear not. And so this is the first part of Jesus' instructions. He says, fear not. Now, we tend to fear the unknown, right? And so if there's something that we don't know about, uh, and, you know, that's a lot of times that causes some anxiety in our lives, and, and we don't know how something's going to work out. It's the unknown, and so there's some fear there. And as I mentioned earlier, it's helpful when someone who's walked a path ahead of you and tells you not to be afraid. Yeah, I gave you an illustration earlier about taking a class or starting a new job or something like that. It's a very similar point. Uh, you know, maybe when it's the first time as parents and you drop your kids off for school for the first time and, and you kind of walk away and, and you leave them there and you're like, here we go, here we go. Next, you know, 12 years of our lives, here it is. Maybe there's some anxiety in that. I don't know. Um, you know, I remember hearing a story about a, a young boy who was on an airplane, and they hit some turbulence, right? And, and uh, uh, the plane's starting to bounce around a little bit. Maybe you've been on a plane with some of that before. I know I have. And, and, and you're going through it, and, and the boy was bouncing up and down, and, and he was starting to get a little nervous, right? He's saying, man, I, I don't know about this. And he's starting to get scared, Right. And so he looks over, and there's an older gentleman sitting next to him, and, and, uh, and, and the, bo- the man looked down and could see the fear in the boy's eyes, right? And so the man looked at him and says, isn't this fun? Isn't this fun? With a big smile on his face. As the story is told, the boy began to get calmer at that moment because he saw someone else. He's, the man says, I've been on a lot of these. This is a lot of fun. He, he saw that the man had experience. He saw that the man had gone through a circumstance like this before, and he was basically telling the boy, you don't need to be afraid. It's okay. That's the same thing with Jesus saying he's been through everything that we can imagine, even death. And he says, you don't need to be afraid. So the thing that most humans fear the most is death, right? Because, I mean, we don't know what it's like. It's kind of an unknown force. But the one who has walked that path already, the one who has already done this, remember in verse number 8, he says, the one who died and came to life. He says, I've gone through death. So the worst thing that this persecution can bring you is death. And he says, I've been through it. I'm going to tell you, you don't need to be afraid. And so if we're going to endure persecution well, listen to Jesus' words of comfort, but we follow his instructions and say, we we can't be a people that's ruled by fear. And we have to be a people that says, okay, we're going to follow Christ, and we're not going to fear what things may happen in this world. 
Because what seems incredibly long to us in this life are all the trials and circumstances and, and things like that. James describes our entire lives as a vapor. Have you ever done that? You blow a match out, you light a match, you blow it out, and there's lots of smoke at first, and it goes up. The other day I was in my office, I have a candle on my desk when I'm studying, and, and I have it there, and I blew it out, and I just watched it for a second. Lots of smoke at first. And then it took just a matter of seconds for it to be completely gone. And my mind went to James. Our life is like a vapor, right? And so the thing that, that when this world feels like it's an incredibly long, and it's, a, it's an intense grind, and maybe some of you have been walking through difficulties for, for, for not centuries, for decades. You know, I don't know if anyone's done centuries yet, but decades at least. You've gone through decades. You know, remember, it's but a vapor. And I know it's hard in the moment. I know. But then this is why we look at what Jesus says. He says, I've been through it. I've been through it. I know it. Fear not. Fear not. When we look back, when we get to eternity, I've mentioned this before, we're not going to wish for easier times. We'll be thankful for the hard moments. We're, we're going to be grateful they went through that. And just think about it. Like for you, is you, maybe you had a difficult childhood and things like that. You know, you understand that how that, those moments shaped you. And now you wouldn't want to go back and repeat them. And there was a lot of negative to it. But you also see how it shaped you. The same thing is true when we get to heaven, when we get to the, our new life uh, in Christ. We're not going to look back and say, boy, I wish we'd had an easier life. We're going to be grateful for the hard moments. So don't fear is what he says, first of all, in his instructions. But there's a second uh, command in verse 10. He says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And so we're to be faithful unto, unto death. Now notice, and this is, an, this is an encouraging to me, he didn't say be perfect. He said be faithful. And there is a difference. Okay, we can be faithful, and in part of faithfulness is recognizing our sin and repenting of our sin and, and asking God to forgive us our sins, and, and we're all going to do this, and, and we all make mistakes, right? We all sin against God, even after we're Christians, right? And, and, and we do. In fact, the, the longer we become a Christian, the more aware we should become of our sinfulness. No one's perfect, and, and even though we try so hard, man, we, we fall short. But faithfulness says we, we, we're, we're, we're depending on what God has commanded of us. And he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we sin, we ask God to forgive us, we grow from those experiences, and we move on. We're faithful unto death. So we're going to be faithful when persecution comes because i got to come back to what this text is specifically about. It's specifically about a church that's going to walk through intense persecution. And so how do we do this? How, how do we respond faithfully to persecution? Well, I, there's actually options here. Um, I think it's appropriate to pray against persecution. Um, we see this in Jesus' prayer in the Garden with Gethsemane when he says, God... He's contemplating his humanity. He's about ready to die, and he's going to take on the sins of the world, and the Father's going to turn his back on him. And what did he pray? He says, God, if there be any other way, make it so. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I, I take that example with, with such encouragement that we don't have to like our circumstances. And, and we could even ask God to change our circumstances. But what comes wrong when we demand that God does and we hold it against him if he does not? You see, what Jesus modeled for us in that prayer is he says, here's my desire, Father, but I'm going to submit to your plan knowing that you know best, even if it's against what I want. 
And so we have options. If, if persecution is coming, we can pray against it. Uh, in 1 Timothy, it tells us that uh, uh, we are to pray and, and, and that we are to pray for the rulers over us. But it says, and, and notice why, it says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Right? And so we, we can pray against persecution and say, God, please, please, you know, may we be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life here. So that's one option to be faithful. Another option is that it might be appropriate uh, to use avenues available to us to avoid persecution. Uh, you know, Paul did this at different times. We, we often think of how Paul was beaten and he was persecuted. But there was times he also used avenues to avoid persecution. Uh, there was a, he, he knew the legal system well. And so in Acts chapter 16... Um, he refused to leave a jail cell until, because he was unjustly put in there uh, until the, the magistrates would come. He says, no, no, they've got to come. They've got to come and they've got to apologize to us. And so he was holding them accountable to their own legal system. And he says, listen, no, no, I'm not leaving here until they come and they apologize and then we're leaving there. He knew his legal system. There was also a time in Acts uh, uh, chapter 22 when he was about to be flogged, right? They're stretching him out on the rack. And what did he do at that point? Did he just say, okay, go ahead and beat me? No, at that time, he looked and says, is it lawful to uh, scourge a Roman citizen? Spoiler alert, it's not, okay? (laughs) And they stopped it right away. So he, he knew the legal system and he used it. He appealed to Caesar later on when he was not thinking that it was going to go well in his uh, legal process. He says in Acts 25, okay, I appeal to Caesar. And so he knew the legal channels to do. And so he used the legal channels to try to avoid persecution at times. He fled persecution in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 17. We see many times where not only did Paul endure all those hardships, but there was times where then he also fled. And so my point is this, to be faithful may not always look the exact same way. We can pray, we can use the avenues available to us to avoid it, but overall, we have to be willing to walk through the persecution when God makes it clear that that is the path for us. And that's what Paul did. He didn't, even though he used the legal systems, even though that there was times that he uh, 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 prayed, even though there was times where uh, he fled the situation, he also, when God made it abundantly clear what he was supposed to do and he was supposed to walk through a, a persecuting time, he did. When he went back to Jerusalem, people begged him not to go. He says, nope, God's told me to go. And he knew what awaited him there. And so my point is this, is not, is not to say that we have to do one thing or another. The point is this, is that to be faithful may mean different things for different people, but it takes a personal a, a communication with God, asking him. But above all, we have to be willing to walk through persecution. And all indications point to expecting persecution for us. So don't be surprised. Peter said this. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, so don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you. He says, don't be surprised. You know, Paul, the one who sometimes avoided, he said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 2. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so while there are options in how to faithfully respond in our fellowship of Christ in the midst of persecution, what needs to be underneath all of that as we're considering fleeing, as we're praying, as we're considering using a legal recourse whatever the, or whatever the case may be, what needs to be supporting underneath all that is a willingness to walk the path, whatever God has called us to walk, even if it means persecution. And so he looks at the church of Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your works, I know the tribulation. Don't fear 
be faithful even unto death. So I wonder if we're willing to do that. I wonder if we're willing to set aside fear and say, okay, I'm not going to fear whatever this world throws at us. I wonder if we're willing to say, I am going to be faithful even if it means death. So we need to be comforted by Jesus' words if we're going to endure persecution well. We need to follow Jesus' instruction. And then I need to wrap this up by talking about our third point and saying that we need to rest in Jesus' promises. Here we see Jesus saying this. He says, um, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. I'm in verse 10. That you may be tested. And I'll just say that that phrase is helpful because it means that no trial that we go through is without purpose. Okay? He says that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He says, he, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. There's some great promises here. I won't spend a lot of time on them, but very quickly we see, first of all, that he promises that this won't last long. 10 days. Now, that's not a promise to you and me, of course. He's talking specifically to Smyrna. But the principle that we can take from that is that God orchestrates and God governs, I should say. That's a better word. God governs what is allowed to happen to us. It's kind of like when Job, when Satan wanted to afflict Job, God says, okay, you can, but you only go this far, right? And so here's the same way as while Rome was persecuting the church of Smyrna, God says, okay, but you can only do it for 10 days. Now, again, we have no promise for us because there's been plenty of Christians that have been persecuted for much longer than 10 days. That's not the point. The point is, is that there is a definite time when God says, no more, okay? It's not going to go on forever. It won't last long, 10 days. Um, some people say that, you know, you can interpret that in different ways. The way I look at it is uh, uh, you just take as literal as possible, and I, I think it was a very short time that these people went through this persecution. The second promise is that you will receive the crown of life. He says, listen, you go through this, and you are going to receive the crown of life, and you are going to get rewarded for being faithful and, and following me in the face of persecution and then he, 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 he uh, then brings it out to all the churches and says, the one who conquers, so basically he's saying the one who's successful in this, will not be hurt by the second death. What is he talking about the second death there? Well, later on, if you were to go to the end of, of uh, Revelation, that's going to be explicitly spelled out for us, and that's called eternal uh, punishment in a place called hell. And so what we can take from this is, first of all, that hell is real. Okay, hell is a real place that we want to avoid and we want the people that are around us, we want to tell them to, to avoid this place. And part of this is not getting derailed and part of this is being faithful to God and not fearing this world and being faithful unto death here. He says that we won't be hurt by the second death. Matthew chapter 10 is really helpful to us here when Jesus says these words. He says, and don't fear those who can kill the body, but it cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
So basically what he's saying here, he's saying, listen, you know, yeah, you may die. Be faithful unto death. He, he, he's very clear about this. He, he's not pulling any punches. He says, be faithful unto death, and you may die of this. But Jesus' words had to be recalled to this moment. He says, don't be afraid of the soldier who can kill your life. Don't be a, a, afraid of the person who can, who can end your life on this earth. He says, no, 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 no. That's not who you should be fearful of. You should follow and you should respect. You should be the, uh, more afraid of the one who can do both the body and the soul because the person on this earth, he can't do anything with your soul. He can't do anything about your eternal state. But God in heaven can. And so the point is this. Listen, when it comes down to you bow to man and save your, your earthly life or do you follow Christ and lose your earthly life, man, you follow Christ, lose your earthly life, and then you have eternal life uh, in glory and without the, all the stuff that we have to deal with here. And this is difficult, heavy stuff. I get it. But this is why Jesus looks at him and says, I know. I know. I know this is difficult. I know that this is hard. Don't fear. And the reason why he could say this, right, is because Jesus could promise this. He could promise that we won't be hurt by the second death. He could be prom- promised that death won't have a final hold on us. Because look at verse 8 again. He says, the words of the first and last, the last, the one who died and came to life. He conquered death. He, w- he went through that and he conquered death. And he says, okay, I'm telling you, that you stick with me and you will conquer it as well, okay? stick with me be faithful with me unto death and then you will not have to worry about being hit with the second death or being afflicted by the second death at all and so I I think that as we're weighing this this very heavy topic today of going through persecution that may cause people to lose their lives Jesus' words of comfort have to be helpful to us. His instructions have to be followed of don't fear, don't live in fear, and be faithful unto death. And then, and then as we look at his promises, that should motivate us to follow him. And this is how we respond to trials. As I close, let me tell you this story about a man by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp, as you can see in the date there, he lived from 69 A.D. to 156 A.D., so this would have been the time of, of John. Um, John, uh, they would have overlapped. In fact, uh, Polycarp became the pastor of this church in Smyrna that we're talking about today. Uh, church tradition says that the apostle John is the one who did the ordination, is the one who said, you know, turn the reins of the church at Smyrna over to Polycarp. And so, this would have been near this time. We, took, we said that it would have been about 90 A.D. or so that Revelation was written. And Polycarp, you can see his life. And so you see how it overlaps. As Jesus predicted, persecution did continue to come to Smyrna. There's a second century document that tells the story of Polycarp and his pastorate there and then his death. Apparently, he was hiding in a country home when the authorities were coming to look at him because he would not offer that incense to Caesar, and he would not call Caesar Lord. He hid out in a country home for a short time there, and two young boys knew of his location. Roman authorities captured these two young boys, according to the second century document. They pressured, even torturing them, to reveal the location. They eventually cracked, and they did tell, and they led them to Polycarp's, the place, the house where he was staying. As they entered the room, according to the story of the second century document there, uh, Polycarp said, it is the will of the Lord. He knew his time was there. 
And so what he did is he asked for food and water to be brought to the soldiers. He says, I want you to eat. I want you to drink. I want about an hour to pray. You eat, you drink while I pray. They were surprised, first of all, about the age of the man. They didn't realize that he was so old. They didn't realize that he was so gracious. And so they allowed him to eat and drink. I allowed him to pray while they ate and drank. As they began to leave, after about an hour or two, they, they started moving towards the place where they were going to be bringing him to trial. These younger soldiers began to plead with Polycarp and saying, you're an aged man. You don't need to go through this. All you have to do is you just have to say, Caesar is Lord. All you have to do is, is, just, is just burn the incense, and you, you will be saved. You don't have to worry about this, okay? Come on, it's not that big of a deal, okay? He says, no, I won't do that. Hey, they bring him before the proconsul, and when he's brought before the proconsul, he's, uh, he's asked uh, uh, again, he's given another chance to escape death, and this is apparently what Polycarp declared. He says this, he says, 80 and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? How can I do that? The proconsul again tried to get this older man to reject Christ by reminding him of the flames that awaited him, but he refused. And this is what Polycarp says. He says, you threatened me with fire, which burns for an hour, and after a little extinguishes, but you're ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Polycarp was then sentenced to die by fire. When they were about to fix him to the stake with nails, he said, leave me as I am. For he that gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me without your securing me by nails to remain without moving in the pile. So they left him there standing and they, he prayed a longer prayer that some of it was recorded for us. It's a beautiful prayer. Stood there and they lit the fire and Polycarp died. They said it was a beautiful scene, as beautiful as a death can be. The calmness, the steadfastness, the faithfulness, and the lack of fear that he had. I can't promise that when persecution comes that you won't have any fear. I can't promise that all of us are going to be faithful. But what I can do, what I am doing, is I'm pleading with us to look at this letter today and say, persecution may come. Jesus knows. He's experienced it. We can obey his instructions, and we can rest in his promises. And if we do that, if we do that, I think we'll be like Christ, faithful unto death. There's some homework that I want you just to contemplate a little bit here as we bring this to a close. That's the theme. Here's what I encourage you to do. Look up a few stories of people who are persecuted this week. Um, you can read like Fox's Book of Martyrs or something like that. Uh, that's just a, a great resource. There's other newer uh, books that have been written about this. Let, the, let, 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 let their experiences uh, inform you and give you courage. Uh, I, I would also encourage you to pray for persecuted believers in the world today. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs has good resources on this. Frontline uh, Magazine, they have a, a thing you can download. It's like this. It's, uh, I'm going to go back to the homework slide, don't worry. But there's a, there's a map here of the, some, of the most, the, some of the worst countries for persecution and where they have missionaries right now. And so they have first names of missionaries over there that are listed. And then some of the countries, and it tells a little bit about the country. That's on Frontline. Uh, you 
can download that. That's a great prayer resource as well. So let me just encourage you this week, pray for missionaries. And what they do is they divide it into 31 so you could take it each day and pray for some. So pray for persecuted believers in the world today. Pray for our church to resist fear and to be faithful unto death. Pray that we would resist any fear that could cause us to, to, get, to, to get off mission and, and to, to get focused on, on the wrong things. And pray that, pray that God helps us to resist this fear and be faithful unto death. And then one thing, here's a real practical thing, is I've mentioned the Afghani pastors. I've mentioned the situation in Afghanistan. We have a lot of refugees that are coming to this country. Some are coming to Wisconsin. We're trying to figure out how we can, how we can minister to them. Okay, there's, you know, I talked to some people, Anne-Marie and I talked a little bit this week about Bibles and stuff like that. Really appreciate her bringing that up. And, and we're trying to chase down some stuff. But, you know, this should, this should be a church activity. This shouldn't be just, you know, the, the pastors, the elders of doing this. You know, let, let, let's investigate how we can minister to these people who are going through persecution. And whether they're trapped there or whether uh, they're back, they're here in our state, Let's, 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 let's make this a church activity. We'd love to hear your ideas of how we can best minister to these people here at this time.